The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sanherjo. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Dom. And Father Michael Gossett. Hi, Father Michael. Hey, Dom. So, folks, uh, this is a spoiler-free zone. That's right. There will be no Star Wars spoilers on this podcast. <laughs> For that, you'll have to go to Secrets of Star Wars to get spoiled over there. But uh, but on this podcast, there's no spoilers. Uh, I know that's uh, high on people's con- uh, concerns lately. So, uh, actually, what we're talking about is this: the news lately has been full of uh, this one story. In fact, it keeps coming around that... People's concerns related to the Ring video cameras, the Ring, uh, not just the doorbell per se, although that that's part of it, but uh, the the Ring doorbell ca- security system, security cameras, the various cameras that they own, and the privacy concerns related to it. Now, we did, were, were you two on the panel when we talked about Ring sharing? Uh, Sharing access with police in a way, were you? That might have been a different. I don't know. Panel. I don't know that I was on that one. I think that was okay. a different. So. Okay, mm-hmm. good. So that we can talk about it fresh uh, together then. So uh, there's a couple of different uh, aspects of the story. So just to the background, Ring Ring Video Ring dot com was a small startup based out of California that started with a doorbell a few years ago. It was an internet connected doorbell, so that when someone a- a- approached it, not even didn't even have to ring it necessarily, but even approached it or rang it it would have a, a video call that would start and you could talk to the person through it from through your phone, from wherever you are on the internet. Um, or uh, you could just, you know, re- watch the video later and it, it became a big security thing. And in fact, you see on the nightly news all the time, uh, ring video cameras that have captured, you know, delivery men doing dumb things and that sort of stuff. So, uh, so that was fine. And then they've expanded into uh, different uh, sort of security cameras, the, for around your house, the outside of your house, inside of your house. Now they have a security alarm system. So that's really expanded. And they were bought by Amazon a few years ago, and now they're part of the big conglomerate. All right. So earlier this year, uh, there was a story about how Ring was working with police to uh, the best. They they were forming partnerships with police, giving them equipment and giving them access not to the videos itself. That would be really bad. Uh, but it would give it gave them access to this social network of ring video owners to allow the police to sometimes ask particular ring video owners if they would be willing to give them the video footage so they help them solve a crime. So they didn't have actual access to the to the footage. They had access to the owners and it was anonymized and that sort of thing. And people could say, no, I mean, you don't you're under no obligation to give it to the police. But some folks felt that that was a step too far. Um, and so there was a little bit of a controversy over that. Um, and then there is this latest one, which is it turns out that it started as a quote unquote hack. Now, that term is loaded and often misused in the media. 
but hackers were getting to people's ring camera systems and w- watching their video. And because the cameras have uh, microphones and speakers, they were talking to people on the other side, including the big one was this one where people had put a camera in their kids' room, which, frankly, I think that's a bad idea. But, okay, <laughs> they put a camera in their kids' room, and someone was talking to their kids, uh, pretending to be Santa, through the camera. So, oh my gosh, it's, yeah, people are hacking the system. So, so, and then it turns out what it was is people had bad password hygiene and were, and the hackers were just getting in that way. All right. So all that said, what do you, what do you guys think of this for, for the, just from the top down view of what we've talked about so far from the, the, the heights here about this whole problem, quote unquote, is this an Amazon ring problem? Is this a users miss not not uh, setting things up problem what do you think of all of this uh father michael let's let's start with you yeah i guess just when all these things sort of came about and you started seeing advertisements for it i was impressed it's a cool idea um especially the idea of someone ringing your doorbell at home and whether you're there or not you can see who's there cool very cool and just uh the internet's amazing and all this technology is amazing um but what like everything, if we don't take it seriously with passwords and security hygiene, like you said, I feel like that's a big part of it. That um, maybe just in general, we're, we are too uh, blase about just how much these things intrude on our lives. Um, I think we've talked about like the Alexa and Google Home before, and just it's always there, it's always listening, and uh, just not taking that seriously. We're inviting not just the companies, but like you said, any malicious person uh, who has the ability and and just the time to do it. And so I feel like a lot of it is on people who buy this stuff to, to take it seriously. But when it comes to cooperating with the law or, uh, yeah, companies have a responsibility as well. But if we're going to buy into it, we have to, we have to be careful. Thomas, what do you think? Do, do, does some of, does the consumers have, a greater responsibility for setting these things up and managing them responsibly. I mean, or are we too lax in general as consumers? I think that these companies could do a better job educating people. And that's, that's really, mm-hmm. uh, they, they need to start stepping forward and educating people and what safe password hygiene looks like. What is, what is a secure system look like? Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, a lot of people don't even know that if they have, uh, a wireless access point in their house that they bought that they need to go in and disable the administrative uh, rights on that device. A lot of people don't even know that that's a thing. And you right. you have to go in and do that. Otherwise, I can just drive down the neighborhood, connect to somebody's Wi-Fi and go in through the administrative portal on it and change any settings I want to. And, you know, that's not something that people think about. That's not a not a thing that they're that they're used to doing. And frankly, uh, it's probably way above most people's technical capabilities to oh, yeah. do that. They don't make it easy for the, for the owner to do that too. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that's not something that, um, you know, because most, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's just that these companies have never, uh, really had an, uh, an, a reason to do it or what, but it seems like if they're, if they're making these devices, they should be responsible with the security of them as well. And, uh, you know, part of installing and setting up the Ring device should be a discussion about what is a secure password and why you want a secure password. Right. After the fact, as it turned out, that all of these uh, Ring systems that were hacked were 
the people who who were who had the intrusions were they they had reused passwords across multiple sites. This is something we just talked about last week on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they reused passwords across multiple sites, and those those sites had been hacked. So the passwords were out there, and so the 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 hacker, quote unquote, was just trying usernames and passwords. You know, it's just a giant dictionary attack. They run tens of thousands of these, and every once in a while they'll hit one because people reuse passwords. And and so as soon as you do that, you've you've got the keys to the kingdom. So Ring, uh, Amazon sent out an email to all Ring owners, and I've I'm I'm a Ring owner, so I got the email, and they. They they kind of explain the facts about password security. Here's what happened in the in the hack, and here's what you do. And the first thing they said was to enable two factor authentication, which is nice that they now have that. Of course, it's not real good two factor authentication. It's the text message kind, which, as mm. we discussed last week, is a is better than nothing, but is second best to the real third party authenticator app sort of uh, two factor. Um, and they also suggest, which is a, a good one, is instead of sharing passwords, you, they let you have shared users so that I don't know how much more secure. And you can tell me what you think. Is this more secure that my wife and I have the same username and password that we both use uh, to, to access it, although it's unique to Ring, or that we have two usernames and two passwords that we stay? Now, is that not two vectors for attack at this point <laughs> instead of one? What do you think? Or four, if we have a family of four who all have access. Right. What, do you, what do you think? Is 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 that better but or worse? Re- the, the, the issue with, with that is that it removes the amount of times that you have to reset a password or write down a password or remind someone of a password. And so it actually is better to have um, multiple users that okay. can log into the account uh, because, and this is the thing I always remind people about hacking, Hacking is a social engagement. Yes. It is not a person sitting at a computer typing up a whole bunch of stuff. It's always about a social engagement. And I can promise you with this Ring stuff, these guys probably didn't even know they were hacking into Ring devices. They were just trying the passwords that they got off of a list against a bunch of IP addresses that might have been in a range and they got a hit. And then they go, okay, well, then they query the device, see what it is. Oh, it's a camera. That's awesome. And then... Right move from there uh, to do all the other stuff that they want to do. Yeah. Some of the, eventually I think the, 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 according to one of the articles I was reading, uh, somebody figured out that rings had this, where there was a way to particularly attack rings. There was a, uh, a, a, they call it dark web. I mean, it all seems very shadowy. It was a website where someone had this tool that you could use to run you know your database of hacked passwords and usernames through it to get to to try it against ring devices so it actually in this case hmm. it, they did know but yes in, in fact there are ring is probably better secured than most internet uh cameras out there because there are a lot of uh, systems out there a lot of cameras that are uh, you know cheap Third party, you know, a no name brand, all manufactured off some, some, some factory line in Asia where they 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 just throw some really. But I don't want to be stereotyping because it's Asia or whatever. It could be just as easily, you know, some factory in America. It's just it's everything's built in Asia right now. Uh, but but these are not secure. They don't bother being secure, and they may even have, you know, for all we know, 
the malware being installed on the factory floor. <laughs> on it right there, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why, like in my house, I have ring cameras all around the outside. I have it on, on my driveway and in the backyard, and I have a ring video doorbell, but I don't have one inside. I And, and I have had cameras hooked up inside, but I only ever connect them when I'm away. <laughs> so when there's mm-hmm. nobody in the house. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, the the... And and that's the thing is is that I ha- I'm pretty liberal when it comes to that sort of thing. But even I have a line that I'm drawing of of of, of what I'm comfortable doing. I, I do not I do not want cameras in my inside my house, and I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the the sliding little door on my, all my webcams on my computer and on my kids' computers, and because I just. I don't trust it, you know, I, and I'm sure Apple's security is good, but I don't trust it. So mm-hmm. I think that's part of it, too, is this, you just you have to be aware of, you know, the, the way convenience and security. I You got to lean towards security and privacy in these things a lot more than we do, I think. Um, and and you, you look at people who who are more knowledgeable about technology. They're the ones who are more skeptical. And, and that that should tell you something. I think it's worth being careful, especially when something, I don't know, many of the things we use on the Internet are at least a little bit of a remove from us. Um, when it comes to something like this, where it's like, here, look what I'm doing with my family every single day. Every single day, look when I leave my house, look at uh, right. the different things that are going on. Or like in the case of some of these hacks that uh, um, harassing people or just freaking them out that... Um, that when you when you have technology that's this integrated into your home, uh, then I think, it, like you said, just leaning towards security is absolutely worth it. Right, right. And there's Definitely. only there's only so much we can expect people to do. You know, cha- change your passwords every three to six months. I have hundreds of passwords because mm-hmm. I I use a password uh, vault. I use a you know password software and. I have a unique password for every site I go to. If I change my passwords every three to six months, I would be constantly changing my passwords. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge hassle because, frankly, they don't make it easy, especially when they tell me, no, no, you can only use between eight and 12 letters, and it has to have these special characters, but not right. any of these. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, what a hassle, you know? Uh, just mm-hmm. let me use whatever I want for a password, you know, beyond a certain length. Anyway, well, and then those those aren't those aren't actually good security measures anyway. So right. it doesn't <laughs> matter. It's a whole nother debate. <laughs> right. Have, yeah. Right. Uh, but I, and, I, and I think that's it's uh, some of it is incumbent on companies to get a little more savvy about this stuff and realize that, you know, I, I like I like the fact that um, they're making it so that you can have multiple users on the account, because that is a, a that's that's a point of weakness because the more often you have to change that password the the more the less secure that password's going to get by default and the um the the more chances there are that someone's going to be able to find it or you're going to use a password that you've used somewhere else or something like that's going to happen so that right. that's a savvy decision and you know other things like not requiring these archaic weird like you have to have a a number an uppercase letter and a symbol in your <laughs> password uh, that kind of thing. Just just make a 13 character long password. You know, that <laughs> that's a lot more secure than, you know, an eight character long password that has a bunch of weird characters in it. Right. Because right. if they're doing a dictionary attack, it's just going to go and throw everything it can <laughs> anyway. And certainly, as we again, as we discussed last week, two factor authentication raises the bar that much more. 
But right. what I mean, one thing I think, is, and with this kind of expands the conversation a little bit, is at some point we've got to move beyond passwords, don't we? I mean, do, mm-hmm. there's got to be something mm-hmm. more secure. Which is, is it biometrics? Is it our fingerprint, face print, DNA, something? Where where do we go to be more secure? How do we get more secure? Yeah, well, that's and that's that's there's a danger in that too because now with uh, biometrics we start having identifiers that are more closely related to us and to who we are uh, that weren't there before. You know, the, right. um, that that now exist as a data point that can be used to analyze who we are to analyze our interactions online. And uh, I, I don't know, it's... And it's you can't tough. change it. <laughs> right. <laughs> if it's compromised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, it's tough. It, it's hard to say. It's hard to say where we go. And then... I, I don't know. I, when you go a little bit further into this, when you start learning more about it and learning about how to encrypt emails and how um, some of the authentication factors work and how have a public ID and a, and, a, and a private ID and all these kind of things, it gets complicated really, really fast. And the average person isn't just isn't going to be able to keep up with that. And, and right. it's not they shouldn't have to. And there needs to be there needs to be a simpler way for us to to engage with this kind of stuff. Right, right. Father Michael, do you think. Do you think every, this is all way too complicated still? I mean, is this the problem? Is that be, making yourself secure and, and you know, the, uh, securing email, securing your, your home, IOT, Internet of Things? And is it all just, as we said in the beginning, it's just too complicated? Uh, I have, it does stress me out a little bit, I have to say. <laughs> um, I, I got, uh, I mean, it's been a few years now, I got the 1Password app um, on my phone to, like you said, try to have just like to, kind of have a system. Um, but that hasn't solved the problem because like you said, you do this so often. Um, all of us have, I mean, maybe not as many as you Dom, but a lot of passwords and, uh, that, yeah, I mean, for most people, it's not even on their radar. And so I think just having that, I don't know, some level of common sense of how far you're going to go. I know that I, somebody gave me a Google home for Christmas a few years ago and eventually I think after I heard, I went in the app and listened to all the recordings of me yelling at it to shut its alarm off in the morning um, that Google now had. Like, I'm not sure if I want this listening to me all the time. And you just had to make those choices for yourself about what um, what you're willing to trust. And if you're right. not willing to take those steps to, to make yourself, especially if your kids or your family are involved, then uh, maybe be a little more hesitant about what you let in. Right. I see the uh, Amazon Echo for Kids product that they're selling, and I'm thinking, I I'm, I really don't want to put that in my kid's bedroom. You know, I just, I, I you know, I've got I got one here in the office, I got one in the kitchen. You know, I, but in the in the kid's bedroom, I, I just I that's that's a yeah. that's an echo too far for me. <laughs> well, but but I will say that at least some of these companies are being upfront about what you're putting in your kids' rooms because, you know, we've had toys for years that have had microphones in them that have had um, oh, internet right. capability attached to that microphone that have had cameras in them yep. for whatever purpose. And, um, and they haven't been completely honest about what the, the item has been capable of. And so we bought it and put it in our kids' rooms and didn't even know that it was there. So at least mm. now companies are getting more, uh, aware of needing to tell us about that stuff right right and if and that there's enough people out there banging on these things hacking on them to see you know what they're doing and what they're listening to that they're usually if it's in there there people are finding it it's getting caught so okay yeah 
All right. So uh, if, when you're buying your kids some Christmas presents, <laughs> <laughs> this is something to think about when you're doing that. All right. Uh, so, but it, but the bottom line here with this story is, is if you've got a ring or if you've got internet uh, of things, cameras in or around your house, you know, make sure that you can do two-factor authentication. Make sure they can be secure. Look them up online and see if they've if if anybody's talking about well, that they're hacked or how to ha- if someone if there's articles out there about how to hack your ca- your brand of camera that might be something to be concerned about. So. So, you know, mm-hmm. do a little searching, but but it does behoove us. There is a responsibility on us as consumers, as hard as they make it for us still. It's it's not as easy as it should be, but we need to have good password hygiene, good security, and two-factor authentication wherever we can. I'm gonna that's that's my that's our new mantra on this podcast. Good passwords, two factor authentication. <laughs> that's we're gonna suggest that. All True right. Thing, good passwords, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of SQPN, with a special message. The StarQuest Network is fulfilling its mission to explore the intersection of faith and pop culture, and in the past year we've reached stunning new heights. Our programs are reaching broad new audiences with a message that helps us discern good entertainment, make sense of the world, and share the gospel with others. We continue to launch new shows and bring back great shows. We just relaunched Secrets of Star Wars, which comes at the perfect moment to capture the excitement over the new show, The Mandalorian, and the climax of the new Star Wars movies. The support of our audience is vital to this work and has helped us grow closer to meeting our financial obligations. For that, we are very grateful. But we still need to close the gap. Every new gift extends our deadline. But until we eliminate our deficits, the future of StarQuest and your favorite shows remain in question. This is why it's crucial we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we are very grateful and we ask you to prayerfully consider in increasing your support at this time. If you are not yet a supporter, please become one now. We urgently need your help in every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? That lets us provide more than 40 hours of professionally produced shows with compelling content. We have special thank you gifts for donors at several giving levels. If you are a business owner or just want to provide a leadership level of support, we now have a special giving level for sponsors, like in public broadcasting. For $500 per month, you or your business can sponsor one of the shows on our network. Listeners will hear a message in every episode thanking you for your sponsorship and giving your website. We'll also have your name and link on the SQPN webpage and in the show notes of every episode during your sponsorship. Whatever level of support you can offer, whether large or small, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas, and remember that your gifts are tax-deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. And may God bless you and yours as we approach the celebration of our Lord's birth. So our second story uh, tonight comes in from a listener sent in by a uh, listener, James Hamill. Hamill? Uh, sorry, James, if I mispronounce uh, that. Uh, it's a New York Times article that talks about this particular circumstance, a little a different kind of technology here, uh, biotech. A man who had leukemia had a bone marrow transplant, and that's a fairly common procedure. It's not rare anymore, the bone marrow transplant, that sort of thing. Uh, he found that his donor's DNA began to be expressed in his own body and traveled to unexpected parts of his body, including into his reproductive organs, shall we say. Uh, I, I'm not sure if kids listen, so I don't want to be too direct. But 
let's say that there could be kids born of of him and his wife who might have someone else's DNA at play here, uh, possibly. Uh, so, um, th this is a term that that technically we've heard about called chimerism. Uh, chimera being a mythical creature that uh, was part uh, lion, part goat, part serpent, um, and chimerism we've known about for years because it sometimes happens when um, a woman is pregnant with twins and one of the twins at very early stages, like in the multicellular uh, fetus stage, uh, one of the twins dies and its DNA incorporates into the other uh, fetus and th that person can grow grow up with two sets of DNA. And uh, I, there was an episode of CSI where some, someone committed a crime and their <laughs> chimera DNA got, you know, so you've probably, you've probably seen that if you watch crime procedurals at all. But this is different, and you know, tens of thousands of people every year get bone marrow transplants. And so this is an interesting question that it raises for us, uh, not just in biology. It doesn't apparently, and you guys can tell me if you've encountered this and you're reading on this, it, it, they're not really worried about this from a medical standpoint. It's not like that someone could that having this, this different set of DNA could hurt them medically. Did you, did you encounter anything where it said that, either of you? No. It it didn't seem like that was an issue at all, mm. but but it, but in two cases it becomes an issue is in criminal work. So when you're doing DNA testing for a crime, but also in uh, the this new DNA archaeology uh, genealogy. Sorry, genealogy is what I'm looking for. DNA genealogy stuff, um, which is being used in criminal searching. Uh, if you listen to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, one of our other SQPN podcasts. We did an episode on the how we caught the Golden State Killer, and they caught him by this DNA comparison through uh, through a uh, you know these do a uh, cheek swab and send it in and find out where your ancestors came from. Well, they can use these databases to kind of see who's related to whom, uh, and this can mess with that. And so, so what do you guys think of this uh, this issue, this problem? I mean, is it a problem, and what do we do about it? Do, should we be concerned about it? What, what do you think? Thomas, we'll, we'll go to this first this time. I, I think this is such an interesting field because um, I, I am very much in the camp of uh, post-humanism uh, and, and seeing how it kind of fits with our Catholic moral standpoint. So, you know, we're moving to this era where we can keep people alive longer. We can um, uh, save lives that really would not have been able to be saved years ago, uh, saved by a miracle. And now all of a sudden it's just a medical uh, practice that we do. And um, this is one of those cases where we have that having a repercussion that we weren't expecting. Um, and now we have to look at like, what, what does that do? What does that mean? What does it mean that this person now has another person's DNA in them? And especially when you come in, come to something like this, where it's possibility that that person is dead. And this person now has their DNA in them. And like, what does that mean? <laughs> what, what, right. How does our how much does our DNA define us? And I love I love looking at this question from that angle and like really thinking about, um, you know, I, I like the ship of Theseus uh, concept, which if you've ever been a Star Trek fan and talking about the, the transporters, like how much uh, can you replace of a ship and still have it be the same ship that you started with? Uh, so if Theseus leaves the port with a certain ship and he replaces the mast and then the bow and then all of the different pieces of the deck, at what point does it stop being the same ship? Uh, and I'm wondering with this kind of situation, if the DNA progresses so far 
like what at what point does this person become another person it's like right. a really interesting thought <laughs> well how, how much of us just from a biological standpoint how much of us as adults is the same cellular material as we as when we were newly conceived right probably not much if anything i don't know if any if there's actually an answer to that it'd be an interesting question for a biologist there to is. answer there's actually an answer to that. Every seven years, apparently, you are an entirely different person. Like, oh. You do not have the same stuff in you every seven years. So from a bio so from a spiritual standpoint, the soul persists. It's the same soul. But right. we are body-soul composites, uh, as from a Catholic point of view. So what does that mean for us? That's an interesting philosophical question. I'm not sure, metaphysical mm -hmm. question. Is there an answer to that? Is that I mean, does that, I mean... Obviously, we're still the same people. So, are we our DNA from a from a metaphysical theological standpoint? What do you think, uh, Father? I, I'll turn to you as the expert on all things theological and <laughs> oh, metaphysical. There we go. <laughs> I was hoping I could hide. Um. <laughs> well, anyway, what is your non non yeah. uh, 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 non official uh, unofficial opinion uh, on this? Maybe a speculative theological opinion. What do you think? Yeah. It's it's super fascinating. Um, I, I think I'd heard in the past that idea that every seven years we're totally, we're replaced, that not replaced, but we're new, we're refreshed. And mm -hmm. I feel like, so God built that into who, how we work and how our bodies work. And I think that's, that's a good part of the answer that um, growing and uh, yeah, just growing as a, as a person and becoming uh, an adult person involves that change. and. Yeah, so like in this story, this man, it's not giving him a disease. It's not, uh, doesn't seem to be morally wrong in any way. Um, and it, I think it does go to show that we are more than our body, um, because that's sort of an argument we have again and again that we're just, we're just biological. And so, um, and I mean, I don't know, in a, in a sci fi novel or story, this might be a way that somebody gets superpowers or becomes possessed <laughs> by another person. Um, uh, but we see like, no, we're more than that. And I think it shows the interesting connection of, of soul and body that you need both to be human. That's what it is to be human is having both. But uh, you can't overpower one with the other, that he's not a new person now on the metaphysical level, even if you do a test and you can see somebody else's DNA. Right. And also that we need both to be ourselves. Like, and my body needs my my soul and my body together. Mm -hmm. I'm not merely a meat puppet for the soul, but neither am I a conveyance for you. Know, like I'm not merely just dragging my soul along behind me either. I mean, I am right. both, uh, which is an interesting, uh, interesting idea to to consider. One of the things that comes came out in this story was that they found that. This particular fellow with the, the the transplant, the bone marrow transplant, after four years, and we'll mention again, the all of his semen had been replaced, the DNA in it had been replaced by the donors. So again, if he and his wife were to have children, they would have the DNA of the donor that would be theirs. What do you, I mean, from a, again, from a, 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 a Theological and moral and ethical standpoint. I don't know about ethical, but moral standpoint. The, they're his kids, right? But in a way that doesn't relate to their DNA. You know, it's a very interesting question of what it means to 
to to you know in the you know the the uh, theological term of generating to 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 father children to sire children um both biologically but also spiritually mm-hmm. it it brings up some interesting questions about that i'd be interested to see this if the same thing happens in women as often or mm. at, or is possible in women because uh, you know, when you talk about all of these DNA testing things, it's always the string of the mother's DNA that gets uh, that gets analyzed. And that's that's one of the things they talk about, like in, in the crime shows and the crime procedurals, too. It's always like they they can attach you to the mother, but they can't uh, they can't do the same thing as easily right. with the father's DNA. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if maybe uh, that's if maybe that the fact that he's a man is what's uh, causing this to be a possibility. And I was so disappointed in this article that. That it's not a scientific, like it's not a big, uh, it's not the scientists that are looking at this in, in, as in depth. It's the uh, the criminal criminal investigators and the crime labs that are looking right. at it. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many questions that I want answered on a scientific level about like, you know, well, what does this do? Like, let's do a study and let's see how many different people that have had this happen. Uh, you know, does it happen to women? Do they do? Does their reproductive system get overtaken? Because. They've already had all of their, uh, you know, all of their genetic material is is there from the from uh, inception. So so that's, you know, or from conception, that's a, that's like the way it works. So it's an interesting, uh, an interesting difference between the two. That is really different, different point. I didn't think about that going in that uh, for women, that's all already there. And just the idea, I don't know, like just as they have children. It's just interesting, like, what do those kids look like, and how does that affect, what does it really affect that gets into the nature versus versus nurture thing in a way that you don't really see that often? We should point out that in the article that we're, that we're referring to, it does say that, that these um, researchers said, well, no, it's impossible to, to pass on someone else's genes uh, in, in, to, in children. And I'm thinking, but if all the DNA in the semen has been... I don't understand why that would be impossible if if there's all the DNA in the semen has been changed over to the donors, then why wouldn't that be possible? Uh, but there are some other intriguing cases here, like like the uh, trying to identify the victim of a car crash, who by sight was male, whose DNA came up as female. But then when they checked another part of the body, it came up as male, and another part of the body came up as female. Turns out he'd received a bone marrow transplant from his daughter. And so he was carrying his daughter's DNA around in his body. Uh, but given how things like identity and sexual identity and, and uh, gender being assigned and all these other questions about identity are up in the air, this just adds more m- muddiness to the waters, doesn't it? It, it makes it trickier to because you can't just simply say, well, you, you are whatever your DNA is. Or biometric uh, security measures, which we were just talking about, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, how dedicated are you to hacking into somebody's equipment? Will you take a bone marrow transplant? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Or yeah, I mean, if I if if I if I'm worried about someone else being able to access all of my data, will I be willing to give a bone marrow transplant to be a donor? Exactly. That yeah. that becomes a question, and and sh- and should be concerning for. People who work in cancer, treating people with cancer, you know, who rely on uh, this is a question they need to answer because it, it will come a day maybe where mm-hmm. this is an issue for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an that would be an, another. We're always coming up with interesting uh, science fiction premises on this. There would be a very interesting <laughs> science fiction premise where a bone marrow transplant recipient is able to then 
uh, access the the life of whoever they gave them the transplant. Oh, that's a like a little dystopian sci-fi going there. Yeah, it's even <laughs> deeper than dick novel. It's all it's 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 already got to exist. I'm sure somewhere. <laughs> yes, he's probably written it somewhere. Deeper uh, than then, Minority Report, even. Yeah, 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 exactly. Philip K. Dick wrote the novel, and someone else is turning it into a completely different show mm-hmm. or movie because that's Philip K. Dick uh, makes the idea, but but whenever they translate it into a movie or TV show, they say that's a very interesting idea. We're going to do something completely different. Than what he did with it has nothing to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. Those very interesting. Very uh, this uh, this that will bear watching, and and there's probably more to come on that topic. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, So we got a couple other headlines uh, we can take a look at, and one of these is a this is a fun one. This is a bit of a uh, technology um, technology related news, which is it um, related to a, a website. So if you're of a certain age, and maybe maybe even if you're younger, you'll remember an iconic comic strip. Iconic is an overused term. And I, I'm trying to use it less, but it, if anything applies, this applies. The Far Side was one of those comics strips, newspaper comic strips that were just everybody. Everybody looked at, everybody watched, everybody understood. There were jokes. There were in-jokes. Like, I would often, if I if I did something obviously silly, like push on the door that's supposed to open toward me, I would say, oh, School for the Gifted, which references a Far Side comic strip, you know, where it's this vis- one panel and it's this visual joke and you get it immediately. It, it, uh, so anyway, Gary Larson famously was at the top of his game from 1980 to 1995 and then just retired from comics and has been gone and never put his stuff on the internet until now. TheFarside.com is his new website where he promises to start putting his his uh, comics online and that will even get new Farside comics. So what do you guys think? Are you fans of the Farside? <laughs> yes, I love it. Oh, it's so uh-huh. great. I, I have a have a an 11 year old who uh, absolutely adores the Farside, too. Uh, so, you know, the, uh, the boneless chicken farm is a regular uh, oh, yes. topic of discussion for us, <laughs> uh, where you overanalyze how something is made and, and then you go back and think about like what it must have looked like on the farm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about this. I think this is a great, a great addition to the Internet. Yeah, I, I feel like Gary Larson kind of got Internet humor decade, bef- decade, at least before the Internet. You'd got it. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? He was the original internet humor that that sort of semi snarky slice of life sort of thing that uh, it just kind of tickled the funny bone. And you have, but you also had to be a, a little a little smart to get it. You know, um, almost mm-hmm. like almost like New Yorker Definitely comics, different. but a little more uh, for the rest of us. <laughs> shall mm-hmm. we say? Right. <laughs> uh, how about you, Father? Uh, Farside was that around you? Were you was that the thing for you when you were a kid? Yeah, I was. I just looked it up. Um, there was a book at my parents' house, and I think it's still at my parents' house called "The Prehistory of the Far Side," which was about how he came up with it and how it grew. And I think it was the I had read like the comics page every single day, but uh, it was the first time I was like, oh yeah, there are there are people who come up with this stuff, and it's an art form, <laughs> and um, and that yeah, it, it's really stuck with me, and and. Looking at it now, it's almost like the perfect Instagram account. Um, that so many, uh, there's so many comics artists on Instagram and on the internet in general, but just that single panel, it's perfect. For, it's a meme, and like, 
Uh, yeah, that's the way we communicate now. And I, I would say like Farside got me into. There's lots of web comics that I still follow now because of appreciating what he did with that. That it was funny and smart and just communicated so much in such a small space. You're right. It kind so, of was the original meme, like these one panel strips. Yeah. Um, there's one, like if you look at his website, like for today, as we record this, it's two guys sitting in an office, like this bare office with one window and desks that face each other. And one guy says, the other, one day, Wilson, I'll be sitting at that desk. And it's funny because there's no reason why that desk is better than his desk. They're <laughs> they're perfectly the same size, co-equal in dignity and and in and in presence. You know, I mean, just but it's it's sort of that it gets to the pettiness of human nature sometimes. You know, that sort of stuff. Uh, the one I was talking before, the school for the gifted. It was uh, it was a, a drawing of a of a school of exterior and this nerdy looking kid uh, standing at the door to the school, pushing on the door trying to get in. You know, his head sort of head down pushing, so not really paying attention. Big sign on the door that says pull to enter. And then the sign on the school says, you know, uh, something, something school for the gifted. And, you know, in other <laughs> words, it's that funniness of like, yeah, the as smart as they are, sometimes they don't even have a little bit of common sense. You know, that that sort of snarky, you know, sort of bent look at human nature and life and, and everything. So that was that's always fun. Another fun one was the, uh, you know, how dinosaurs really went extinct and it shows them smoking. You know that sort of stuff. Right. I mean, just, just yep. a lot of fun. <laughs> and they were well. That's, that's the great thing is like you can have a conversation about these, and and it immediately summons up the image for mm -hmm. you. That's that's always amazing to me. Talking about uh, the Gary Larson's is that you've seen it once, and it just sticks with you, mm -hmm. right? And they were shared too. I think that's part of the like you saw these cut out everywhere that photocopied from the paper or whatever right. that all over offices and stuff that like. Just like, I mean, we share stuff now that we find funny. These were just, they were everywhere because they were so simple. And that's one of the reasons why he had refrained from putting these online before now. Um, he's, you know, when he's explaining why he's doing this now and why he hadn't until now, he said, uh, as a quote from years ago, when I slowly started realizing I had a second publisher and distributor of my work known as anyone with a scanner and associates, I did, I did find it unsettling enough to write an open letter to whom it may concern explaining best as I could why I preferred that the people doing this would kindly refrain. You know, there there were websites run by fans who were, you know, putting his comics up and he would ask them not to do that and explain this dilutes my income. And, you know, most people you know, still don't understand cop, you know, why publishing other people's copyrighted works is bad for the person that you're apparently a fan of. Um, so he's, he's, he, he says now that, he hopes that by giving the comics an official home on the internet will help, um, as he puts it, help temper the impulses of the infringement inclined, uh, which is a, a nice <laughs> way of putting it. So, you know, we, we, so it's interesting how concerns about infringement pushed him to publish online as opposed to his previous impulse, which was to pull things back from online. So very mm -hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. So another uh, headline we, we had was uh, this another one of these heartwarming stories of Apple technology helping somebody live their life better. And uh, and I know how this, sometimes this stuff can be manipulated for PR purposes, but I thought this was interesting in and of itself. Apart from that, uh, the, so the the Apple Watch, the latest Apple Watches have a function where they can monitor noise levels, 
And if the noise level gets above a certain uh, amount in, in, into harmful range, it will alert you and say, hey, you're in an air, you know, you're in noise that could begin to cause permanent damage to your hearing. You might want to protect yourself. So what happened was this dad, this Texas dad says that his son, who has autism, had an inability to control how loud he is. He, had, he didn't understand how, just even talking, how loud he would be. And it, he found that the Apple Watch warnings was helping the son to, like, where other people warning him, you know, asking him to be quiet, didn't do anything. It was the technology warning him and asking him that helped him to, to begin to moderate his noise level. Uh, in a way that they haven't had in years. Uh, I, th I just thought it was very interesting, this this uh, unexpected benefit from, from this technology. What do you think of this uh, as you read this? Yeah, I think it's easy to be cynical about the Apple events. Um, it's that we're, we're so freaking out and people are having such a fan emotional experience over phones and stuff. Um, but the thing that always gets me are those videos of like, I had a heart attack and my my phone my watch saved my life or right. helped me get in shape or whatever and and it, it's good to see these things that it's technology genuinely helping people that it's not it's not for money it's not it's just this is a great this is a feature and it's making a difference in somebody's life yeah how about you Thomas yeah. what do you think about th this bit of technology teaching teaching uh, kids like this <laughs> <laughs> I know that what what's going on for this kid is that. They they can sit and say everyone else is saying for me to be quiet, but that's on them. That's that's them saying that that, that I need to be quiet. I, they don't, they just don't understand how I talk. But then when they actually get the the hard feedback that says in numbers, here's where things are are happening, they can take that and say, well, that's objective. That's that's something that's not just subjective to this other person listening to me. This is that's an objective piece of information that I can actually that I need to engage with and do something about. And um, it actually works for a lot of kids. You'd be surprised. Uh, I've, I've put up a noise monitor in my room before and um, had a group of fourth graders come in and said, I just want you guys to watch this while you're uh, working today and see how loud you actually get. <laughs> and um, it changed their perspective on how loud they thought they were actually being in class. They did not know that they got as loud as they did. So uh, it's, it's nice to see this kind of stuff being used in these kind of ways. And uh, it, I, I love uh, there, there are a lot of instances, uh, surprisingly, where um, especially autistic kids uh, and kids who are on on the spectrum, that the engaging with technology is easier for them because they don't have to read all of the emotional cues that normally throw them off in, in a social setting. Um, and so they can they can learn more directly from uh, sometimes from uh, a, a robot or from a, a, a video instructor uh, that that has a flat. Um, intonation to their face uh, because they don't have to do all of that extra work to try and figure out what's going on. That would be, um, I, I wonder whether the Google home, the, uh, the Amazon echo would also in Siri would also be a way, a benefit to the, the kids like that um, because they, there aren't that, that need for that social cue, that social uh, emotional intelligence to, you know, quotient mm -hmm. to, to, to be there. Uh, it's an interesting question. So uh, apparently the way it worked with this kid was that the dad will show him his watch and show it going from green to yellow. And w the first time he did that, the kid immediately, like he, first he wanted to see, oh, he would talk and it would go up and then immediately started talking quietly. Like he, it, like 
just like sort of it's not that the dad asked him to change, but he was just showing him and it it changed changed everything. Um, <laughs> including for the the poor dog who he says would run from the room whenever the the, the boy would start talking, <laughs> um, you know, and and that uh, you know that's kind of neat to, to see that how it has helped this family in this unexpected ways. But uh, but you're right, I have a a fourth grade age child in my own house who has that loud tendency. So maybe I'll see if I can get that to work with with him. I'm not sure it will, but yeah. we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, very good. So let's uh, let's move on to the last part of our show, and we'll talk about our picks of the week. Uh, Father Michael, what's your pick of the week this week? Yeah, so a problem I've had uh, as a priest, and basically since I started preaching, is you read or hear just like great things, and like I want to use this. Um, this applies to this thing, and then maybe you forget about it, or you write it down, and you don't know where you wrote it down. Uh, and somebody introduced me to Google Keep uh, the just a, a service that Google provides. And it's just basically kind of like for notes. Um, and it's a really simple app. You can type into it. You can write with your finger. You can add pictures. Um, you can do like voice recognition and enter it that way. But it's basically, for me, it's become this great way of storing little quotes and ideas where I can just search it really easily. And so if I'm trying to find something that I know I heard before or find something that'll... Uh, make uh, an example more clearly it's a really helpful app and just uh it's not complicated and you can uh because it's google you can look at it wherever you are and whether it's on your phone or computer and uh i think for for teachers or if you're i don't know an author or something like that where you want to keep track of little snippets like that it's it's helpful and especially as a priest uh writing homilies all the time it's been a it's been a very useful tool so google keep awesome yeah, I mean it's 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 similar in concept, I think, to things like Evernote and Microsoft OneNote and Apple Notes. But if you if you are in the Google ecosystem, it's part of it. It's just part of it, and it's it's right. really easy to get stuff from, say, Gmail or Chrome into Keep. So yeah, that's a good suggestion. Very mm -hmm. good. And it's easy to share stuff from Keep mm -hmm. out to other people too. So that's right. uh, that's one thing that I've I've done with my kids. Like I'll be writing something up and then I'll say, Hey, I want you to take this over and then I'll just share it with my kids. And then they have a copy of it. They can keep working on it with. Great idea. Great idea. Uh, Thomas, what's your pick? All right. So my pick is a little off the beaten path. It's uh, it's going into my nerdy zone here. Um, <laughs> I have been a Dungeons and Dragons player since I was in uh, middle school. So it's been around half my life, basically a little over half my life. Uh, at this point. Uh, and so I uh, have started playing a new game called Starfinder. It's by uh, the company that makes Pathfinder, uh, which is Paizo Publishing. It's kind of an offshoot of Dungeons and Dragons, but it's a science fiction-y uh, game. And it does have core rule books and it has dice and the whole nine yards. But just recently they paired up with uh, Amazon and they made an Alexa skill that's called Starfinder. So it's Starfinder Alexa skill. And you just ask Alexa to open the Starfinder uh, skill. And uh, it's basically a choose-your-own-adventure novel. So for anybody who's not initiated into uh, role-playing at all, it's like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. It's read very well. It has voicings for all the characters. Uh, it has an inventory system that you can easily access by asking questions of, of Alexa. And um, it's very good. It's actually really well done. Uh, and it 
if you're interested in getting into Dungeons and Dragons or if you want to see what Dungeons and Dragons is about, it's it's a very good way to do that. If you want an interesting science fiction uh, novel read to you that you interact with, it's another uh, that this is another kind of person that would want this. Um, I just thought it was really impressive that they that they did this kind of thing uh, on the level of uh, professionalism that they did uh, with this Alexa skill. Very interesting. Yeah. You know, the those skills have been pretty much limited so far in my my view to to really sort of basic stuff. I mean, trying to interact with a with a voice control when you have to remember all of the controls can be tricky, but with a choose your own adventure, I mean, that's sort of if you if you've ever played one, it's sort of built in, you know, uh, uh look left, move right, head north, you know, all that sort of that sort of stuff or or um you know, you, your choices are constrained already, so that that's kind of interesting. I'm uh, I'm curious. Uh, the the one game I play on my Echo with my my wife and I do when we're making dinner is the uh, Jeopardy game, where mm-hmm. you know you, you play Jeopardy, uh, where we where we're competing to see who gets the answer first, uh, <laughs> verbally. But uh, but uh, <laughs> that's interesting. I I like that. That's it is off the beaten path, but it's a it's a clever use of technology. So my pick is a piece of software called Verbum, uh, which is Latin for uh, the word, and it comes from a company called Logos. And uh, Verbum is it's called Catholic Study Software, and it's been around a long time. And it's essentially uh, a library of books, Catholic books, that are all wrapped inside this database that this software that's designed to help you study. To bring these references together, to 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 bring to to connect things one thing to another, um, it's kind of hard to to explain it verbally. You're really going to have to see it. Uh, but but it's a it's it's a great uh, set of software. I've been using a, a review copy for uh, more than a month now. And one of the things that's you know it, at first I thought oh it's just a Bible study product. Well I, I mean it's not like I'm writing homilies or you know I write writing books about the Bible. But it's actually much more than that. The 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 books that it covers are things like uh, Advent daily devotions and uh, you know other other books that are resources beyond just the academic or the homiletic. It really takes you into you know just the devotional life as well. Like so, for all of Advent, I've been having you know a daily uh, Advent readings. We read the 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 uh, lectionary for the day. Can read a devotional a meditation for the ad, for Advent and that sort of thing, and you know you get to go through Christmas and Lent and Easter and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so it's it's a very interesting product. It it has a range of um, prices, and you can also buy you can buy a whole library, which is it's a it's expensive until you compare it to what it would cost to actually buy those individual books, whether physically or uh, ebook. Uh, and frankly, I'm I'm all not into buying physical books anymore because I have way too many of those for my house. <laughs> so uh, it it but it's really it's really a, a neat and you can add books. You know, you can buy new books and they have sales and they give you free books and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, some and they're great books right now on sale. They have uh, the Blessing of Christmas by Joseph Ratzinger, or the former uh, the Pope Benedict uh, Emeritus Pope. Uh, that sort of thing. It's really interesting, and like for they have on sale for eight bucks, eight thirty nine, which is a a pretty good deal. So 
check it out, verbum.com. I'll put a link. We'll have a link to all of our picks in the show notes, and you can check those out. Um, so one final programming note, folks. Uh, after today, next Wednesday, we record this on Wednesday. Next Wednesday is Christmas. The Wednesday after that is New Year's Day. We're not going to be recording on either of those days. Uh, so we the next episode of The Secrets of Technology will be out in the new year. In, on January 9th, you should look for it, and uh, we'll we'll see you then. We'll be gearing up for it'll that'll be our right around our first year anniversary. We've been doing this for a year now. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll be gearing up for all of the big announcements that are coming at CES and all that stuff that comes at the very beginning of the of the year. So there's there'll be plenty to talk about anyway. Uh, so uh, as we wrap, I'm hoping they will have baked cookies on the space station by that time, oh, so that oh, we can oh. talk about how the baked cookies came out. That's right. I was so interested in that experiment. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but that's they don't right. have any data for it yet, so I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go all the way back to that. Yes, that's true. So uh, we, so as we wrap up, I, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create secrets of technology, including Chris E, James S, Jonathan H. Roman S and Ryan Z, their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us for this time. Uh, what do you think of our discussion? What we talked about with uh, either the Internet of Things and the Amazon Ring problems, uh, the DNA chimerism problems and the other stuff we talked about, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or you can send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And like I said, we'll have links to all of the, the links from our discussion and the picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. If you have not done so, please subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on the SQPN YouTube channel. Until next time, Father Michael Gossett, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of technology. Thank you for having me. Thomas Enherho, thank you as well. It was a pleasure. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest, and Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas.